0: All right, so how are we doing this?
1: Three, two, one, One, zero.
0: zero. We're recording. Okay, yeah, and then we'll record. Uh, Well, see, I instinctively did it right that way as opposed to before when I said one, two, three, zero, which doesn't make any sense. Which Rachel rightly challenged, why would you do it that way? And I stood there like, wait, he did it wrong? Oh, no, he did. (laughs) He did do it wrong.
2: All right, Sean, so you're presenting today. I am. Nice.
0: I'm...
1: Can I do the intro? I would love for you to oh, do the intro I mean, please I yes. never
2: do the intro okay so this is a med podcast we're a group of three i mean well <laughs> three <laughs> three maybe this is th- why <laughs> <laughs> you the three <laughs> third Walls. year residents do a casual case-based journal club okay um that's all i got <laughs> So this is a MedEd podcast where three third-year residents do a casual case-based journal club, aka the most boring thing we do in residency. We're going to make it fun
1: again.
0: Yes. Wah, bah, bah, bah.
2: Okay. And uh, then um, yeah. So anything we say, do not u- use against us. This is not <laughs> medical <laughs> advice. In a court of law. <laughs> um, we yes. This is just for fun. Hang out with us. Don't judge us. We won't judge you. So yeah. Have a good time, guys. Let's
0: do it. But we love feedback. Yes. Yeah, you can judge us in a feedback form using structured Rhyme. feedback terms, <laughs> such as this podcast was at the first year level <laughs> Reported <laughs> level. Than the third year level. They're good at hey, interpreting. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Occasionally, right. adequately reported right. details. <laughs> I love that. Oh my goodness. All
2: right, Sean. So let's hear about the case.
1: Uh. Thanks, guys. Okay, let us start with the case. This is inspired by a recent month I had on General Internal Medicine Floor Service. Uh, I have changed the details of the patient, uh, and here we go. This is an 86-year-old man with a medical history of hypertension, type 2 diabetes, gold, stage 4 COPD, uh, on two liters of home oxygen, uh, and end-stage renal disease. He presents to the hospital with shortness of breath and a cough with increasing amount of sputum. He has a fever and hypoxia on admission with a pulse ox of 85%. His ABG shows elevated PCO2. His influenza PCR assay returns positive for influenza A. Uh, He has started on osotamivir, placed on non-invasive positive pressure ventilation, and he has admitted into the intensive care unit. Uh, There, while he's in the ICU, his course is complicated by some delirium and some atrial fibrillation. The latter is controlled with uh, IV and then oral beta blockers. Over the next two days, he's weaned from the non-invasive positive pressure ventilation. He returns to his baseline hypercarbia, and then he is transferred out of the ICU after five days and comes to your general internal medicine service. He completed five days of prednisone and azithromycin while there. He remains on standing ipratropium albuterol nebulizers. He's still uh, taking an inhaled corticosteroid and a LABA. uh, And then you get a chance to examine him. Sean, what's a LABA? A LABA is a... I say LABA.
0: LABA? Yeah, I
2: like that. Oh, no.
0: Is that the right way to pronounce it?
2: I'm probably wrong. A
1: a long-acting beta agonist?
0: Uh, Yeah. Uh, But I, I don't know that there's a correct way to say LABA or LABA or denmark llama <laughs> llama
1: <laughs> danish llama a, 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 well he's a, he's also on one of those he's on a llama too he's <laughs> on a llama i was gonna what noise do llamas make never mind
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> flawless uh on <laughs> then our patient comes The gold podcast gold our patient gets uh to the general medicine floors from the icu uh, on your exam, he is saturating 91% on his home two liters. He is mildly dysmic and talks in three-word sentences. His pulmonary exam still has diffuse wheezes in all lung fields. Uh, and uh, I pose to you, would you like to make any changes to his treatment? Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: particularly I don't know steroids. Is, this, is this day yeah. seven of his steroids this Like is, where are we in he's his done he's, he's done five, five done days why is five why is he still pred. taking them stop it stop yeah. stop the steroids stop oh, I thought them. he stopped them already he no. no wait he has yeah yeah, yeah he completed yeah, he, he completed five a five-day course okay. of prednisone and and he's off of steroids right now you betcha but wait still wheezy still dysmetic no what to do no what do steroids are bad steroids are bad they're the only time well not the only time i should say that i have to be very careful about how i say this steroids are only uh, are often an endocrinologist friend in adrenal insufficiency and the treatment of mixed coma so you don't induce adrenal insufficiency when you give somebody back thyroid medicine when they haven't had it for a while but i just don't like steroids because they have lots of things like osteoporosis and high blood sugars and i, I get scared that bad i just don't like them because you know people hand them out like candy and they have problems those are some bad complications yeah they're not great and then not to mention like um you know the delirium that you can get with steroids and you get the munchies which you know he was also delirious yeah and Mm. it's just like that's a lot yeah i don't know i don't like it when are (laughs) still
2: inhaled steroids right it inhaled corticosteroid, yeah, okay,
0: sure. but no but more and systemic, those have systemic
1: absorption too. So, like, uh. <laughs> your distaste for steroids is coming across potently. Uh, when are steroids a cardiologist friend?
0: I think if you can't use, no one cares. Um, no, one, <laughs> no one cares. Oh, got him. Um, no, I think if you can't use, um, hmm, it's pericarditis, but only in like really bad situation. yeah and it's not good to start with yeah and you don't want to start with them because you're like well if we can't do anything else i guess we do that but it's not great giant cell myocarditis yeah oh that's a great one great one sean yeah i forgot
1: about it thank you esoteric card stuff that's what i'm here for um but yeah so i'm gathering from you both that there's a general uh lack of enthusiasm to restart this person's steroids or to give them a longer course
0: but i like to be completely truthful and not just like up on my steroid soapbox uh, i agree with rachel like i don't i don't know what duration yeah. is
1: so do we know why the duration that we've so we've it's just pervasive that we've accepted you get five days five. of steroids and then you go home
2: i have no idea No,
1: it is based on the reduced trial which oh. we're going to discuss today yes discuss the reason uh i
2: love learning about things that we already have ingrained in our minds right but i have no idea why yeah yeah
1: (laughs) a bunch of smart people got a bunch of patients together and did a pretty decent trial and now we do it that way forever
2: and i and no one talks about it
1: yeah okay just do it reduce trial uh the context for this is that previously and by previously i don't mean like the 70s or 80s i mean back in 2012 right wow that's relatively recent relatively recent uh, previously international guidelines had recommended between seven and 14 days of systemic glucocorticoids. So this is going back to GOLD, the Global Initiatives for Chronic Obstructive Lung Disease. Uh, it's very well known and they set, uh, sort of standards, uh, for treatment and, uh, provide some guidelines and some recommendations for those guidelines. Uh, GOLD, uh, guidelines back in 2012 said that there was a, uh, they recommended a 10 to 14 day course of oral prednisone. They said their evidence base was D, which is equal to a panel consensus judgment. <laughs> I think we did, we did uh, levels of evidence and strength of recommendation back in VEST, mm-hmm. episode five. Uh, same thing. There are Canadian guidelines that sh- uh, said that steroid regimens, quote unquote, should be individualized, but treatment periods of between 10 and 14 days are recommended. They gave this a level of evidence 1A. This is from 2007. So not, not too, too far ago, they were recommending up to two-week courses of antibiotics. Did
0: you happen you to? I mean, steroids. Oh wait, oh, wait, no, not antibiotics. I'm sorry, steroids, steroids, steroids. Okay. Did you happen to see where they pulled that level of evidence from? Like, what papers they used? I did not. Yeah. I did not. Yeah, that would have taken a lot of time. It seems discrepant um, too right it's kind of like we really recommend this and other people are like no no no!" it's like we think it's a good idea but like whatever
1: yeah i stopped but digging that deep at
0: that level yeah yeah
2: yeah and someone in 2013 thought there should be a trial about it so
1: clearly they did and this is the trial we're going to discuss it is the short-term versus conventional and conventional might seem counterintuitive to us but conventional at that time was 10 to 14 days so short-term versus conventional glucocorticoid therapy in acute exacerbations of copd the Reduce Randomized Clinical Trial. Uh, the author is uh, a Dr. Jorg Lepui. I hope I am pronouncing that correct <laughs> no, at you all. I it. think it's <laughs> Leupi. <le-weepy>. You, <definitely, laughs> you definitely butchered it. I am so sorry. Leupi. I feel terrible. It's Dr. L-E-U-P-P-I. Uh, this is an investigator-initiated study supported by the Department of Medicine at the University Hospital uh, in Basel or Basel.
2: It's Basel. Uh,
1: Basel, you guys are is, killing me. This is painful. I truly should have pronounced, you know, you can read this all you want, but it doesn't help with your pronunciation in the moment.
2: <laughs> oh my God. Ben, I'm, I'm okay. I'm you're okay. enjoying this far too much. I'm sorry. It's just funny to me. Oh boy. Are we in the Swiss?
1: I'm on the struggle bus. We are in Switzerland. Okay. We are on the Swiss. Uh, Swiss? This uh, this was funded by Swiss hospitals, but notably also had some funding from some pharmaceutical companies, especially I saw AstraZeneca on their list. <gasps> Audible gasp. This was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association in 2013. I've heard of it. Pretty, pretty decent. I've heard of it. <laughs> pretty good. Uh, so I'll tell you guys a little bit more about the, the reduced trial. This is a randomized, multi-center, non-inferiority trial conducted at five Swiss teaching hospitals. They enrolled 314 patients. Uh, they did this by screening patients in the emergency department who were diagnosed with a COPD exacerbation. They included patients who had an acute exacerbation of their COPD, so they met two out of the three of our gold criteria. Uh, they were older than 40 years old, and they had a smoking history. Uh, they were excluded if they had a history of asthma, an FEV1 over FVC ratio of greater than 70%, if they had a diagnosis of pneumonia, if their survival was expected to be less than six months, if they were pregnant or unable to consent. Uh they were then allocated into two treatment groups. They were in tr- they were allocated into either a short regimen of prednisone for five days or a long regimen of prednisone for 14 days. And then all patients received 40 milligrams of IV methylprednisolone on day one, followed by 40 milligrams oral prednisone thereafter. If you were in the short course arm, you received uh, placebo from days six to 14. So far, so good.
2: It's interesting that they, you know, we typically do 50 of prednisone for five days, and they did 40 milligrams IV methylprednisone on day one, followed by 40 PO. I wonder if there's been studies since then. I mean, regardless, it's still five days, but just a little bit different than. Yeah, I've seen 40, too. Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, I hear you. Um, all patients also received seven days of broad spectrum antibiotics. They were on a short-acting beta agonist. Seven days. Yeah, yeah. It's a
0: long time. I know. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, were... I mean, it's not your fault, but <laughs> I don't know. I personally apologize.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, maybe, maybe that
0: was standard of care
1: at the time. I know. I told... Uh, huge aside, but I told a friend of ours interested in pulmonology today about this trial, and he said, "Oh, the reduced trial—that's lame. Do this new trial that talks about like continuous antibiotics in patients who have uh, gold stage four COPD." Mm-hmm. Spoilers for an upcoming episode, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. But so anyway, all patients got seven days of broad-spectrum antibiotics, a short-acting beta agonist. They got uh, inhaled corticosteroids twice a day, uh, tiotropium twice a day. Uh, they specified that a llama and a LABA twice a day. Uh, they don't say this exclusively in the study, but I'm pretty sure by their phrasing, it was actually triple-blinded, which seems uh, good. Uh, they This means that the patient doesn't know what they're getting, the provider doesn't know what they're giving, and those who organize and analyze the data don't know who got what. Uh, and I, I make this assertion because they say at one point, outcome assessors, data collectors, and the biostatician and all other investigators remained blind to group allocation until the primary analysis was completed. So I don't know exactly who knew what at what time point, but it strikes me as a decent job of blinding most people at most points of the study.
0: I will say that the the trouble of blinding a provider to steroids is that the steroids have other effects, such as on blood sugar, which we typically check every day. So their efforts to blind the provider are... um, to be commended but uh unless you don't unless you restrict them from seeing blood sugars or their white count uh it's going to be very Very difficult i legitimately did not even think about that such a
1: good
2: point
0: oh look day seven their white count's still high i wonder which arm of the trial they're in (laughs) Wow, their blood sugar is 300. Must be that really sugary placebo. <laughs> the sugar pills. That's how they get you. <laughs> A that lot would of be sugar.
2: awesome if they also gave sugar pills. I mean, not okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think borderline, if not completely unethical. Yes. Uh, they add this line to the study, which was sort of uh, mystifying, but they say additional steroids could be administered at the discretion of the treating physician which would then i guess make it open label if then the physician and if the patient knew they were getting steroids at some point they don't get go into that
0: Oh that's kind of interesting. Yeah, because if you in theory you could have gotten steroids and then it's like oh we're going to give you even more steroids. Um yeah, that that's a really interesting thought about how that affects the uh, psychological aspect of the trial. Yeah, right. Uh okay, moving on. Primary endpoint
1: time to next COPD exacerbation. Uh, in a six-month follow-up. And they define a new COPD exacerbation as an acute clinical deterioration beyond the usual day-to-day variation requiring interaction with a clinician. Satisfaction with this definition?
0: How does it compare to the gold uh, criteria for an acute exacerbation?
1: What a fantastic segue. So when I think of the gold criteria,
0: I think of three things,
1: which is why I can remember them because it's only three things. And I think of worsening dyspnea, worsening... Uh, sputum production, so an increase in the volume of sputum produced and a change in the quality of that sputum. Uh, so it's sort of different.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit um, subjective. Yeah. What do you think, Rachel?
2: Yeah, I agree. I don't know why they wouldn't just use the same criteria that the patients were starting off with the COPD exacerbation. Like beyond usual day-to-day variation. I mean, that's kind of...
0: Yeah, I think it could be captured in the gold uh, definition, but it's sort of like...
2: Also requiring interaction with a clinician.
0: Do you think they were trying to cast
1: a wider net? So maybe you exacerbate, you know, you come into the ED and they capture you, but you can still exacerbate in your pulmonologist's office and get sent home on a course of azithromycin and prednisone.
0: Yeah, and considered like a mild form. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point, John. I think they probably were yeah. trying to cast a wider net.
1: And what do you think of this as a primary endpoint? You know, this isn't our robust... All cause mortality, but I think it, it's it's interesting and a little different from what we're used to.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the goal, whenever we're treating a COPD exacerbation, is the hope that they're not going to come back a week later with the same problem. Yeah. So, I I mean, I think mortality would be really hard to study when you're just looking at an exacerbation of a chronic disease. Yeah, just five days of steroid versus fourteen. You know what is?
1: Are those a uh, difference of of uh, nine days of steroids really going to give you a cha- a significant change in mortality?
2: Yeah, I think that would be.
1: Yeah, I highly really and they hard. had. I said. I said they enrolled th- just north of three hundred patients, and I doubt, strongly doubt, that would be powered to detect a difference in mortality, even if there was one. So I think this is probably appropriate and very clinically relevant, is what it struck me. You know, if you told me that you know, one treatment would help my patients uh, or or one treatment would help them uh, or prevent them from having a COPD exacerbation for a significantly longer period of time. That's good. I I support that. I would want to give them that treatment.
2: Yeah. And I think ultimately, I don't know what exactly they were uh, like expecting, but my guess is they were just hoping that at least five days was At least the same. I don't know if they were thinking it's going to be better than 14 days or if...
0: Can't study it because it's a non-inferiority trial. Oh, yeah. True. I mentioned that. Superiority trial. Oh,
2: this is a non-inferiority trial. You you betcha. okay. I missed that part. There we go. Oh, we're
1: going... We're going to go deep in the non-inferiority trials. Okay, cool. It's going to get ugly. there we go. Anyway, hold on. Spoilers. We're not there yet. Secondary endpoints included included all-cause mortality, Uh, a change in FEV1, Uh, They included cumulative glucocorticoid dose, which I thought was sort of funny, Uh, clinical performance. So uh, basically, uh, this was a bit, it was both subjective and objective, how patients felt with their dyspnea, and there were some scores uh, associated with that, which I won't go into. Uh, And again, they assessed all these at six-month follow-up, similar to our time-to-next COPD exacerbation over six months. They also looked at differences in uh, hospital-specific outcomes. So, was there a difference in duration of hospital stay, time to open-label glucocorticoid therapy, so that time when they got put on steroids, again, outside of the trial, uh, or the need for mechanical ventilation? They did record data on adverse effects, including worsening blood glucose control, worsening blood pressure control, or a new
0: infection. Good balancing measures, I agree. (laughs) All right. Uh,
2: Question about the secondary endpoint. Were they saying for the mechanical ventilation that like, did they say, okay, if they got intubated within the first day, that doesn't really count as a secondary endpoint or, you know, how could they really compare that unless it happens after the shorter course of steroids is finished?
1: It's definitely, I mean, it doesn't strike me as a really robust other endpoint. Yeah. Not to mention that, you know your length of stay is going to be theoretically different between these groups. So then your the time in which you are able to even be intubated is theoretically shorter in one group. So they're not necessarily comparable. Um, but I think what they're trying to get at is is one group more likely to require mechanical ventilation than the other group. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So results. We'll do just some basic overview stuff before we before we dive. So 314 patients were randomized, three were excluded for an incorrect diagnosis of COPD in the emergency department. That leaves us with 311 patients, of which 296 completed the full 14 days of either steroid or five days of steroid and the remainder of placebo. Uh, The average age of the patients in the trial was 69 years old. Uh, About 45% were current smokers and the remaining former smokers. You remember that everyone in this had to have a greater than 20 pack year smoking history. And interestingly, uh, there was a difference in women between the two groups. 72% of patients in the long course group were women, while only 51% of the short course group uh, were women. Otherwise, there's no uh, significant difference in any of these baseline variables.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: interesting. Yeah. It's kind of weird when you go through all the trouble of randomizing. Okay. It's statistics time. Lord help us. What is... He can't help you now. What what (laughs) is... What are your guys' comfort, familiarity with a non-inferiority trial? Oh, my gosh. I love them.
0: Okay. Actually, I hate them, but I love them talking about them. Let us talk. Yeah. Um, So, my understanding, just uh, going from the cuff, is that basically you're saying that something isn't worse than another thing. Um, And... You can't say that one thing is better than the other because you have a lower threshold to talk about it. So uh, this study is basically to tell it. This study is appropriately designed because it tells us that, you know, five days isn't worse than 14 days. And why would you give 14 days if you could give five days? You know, it doesn't have to be better. It just has to be not worse.
1: Yeah. I think that's perfect. And I love that this, you know, we, I think there's some controversy now with new treatments coming out and using inferiority, uh, non inferiority oh, yeah. studies. Mm-hmm. I like this setup a little bit more. Because totally. it's not a new it's not a new treatment. It's, a, it's a duration. It's just a duration. Yeah. It's something very testable and it's something relevant based on your initial disgust with the discussion of prolonged steroid treatments, which I think is so appropriate yeah. and we should take into account totally. more often.
0: I, I love this for antibiotic duration studies as well. Yeah. It makes it just makes sense. Uh, okay.
2: Yeah, or like um, I was reading one about biologics, because now they're starting to have what is what is the word i'm looking for
0: you mean like a biosimilar yes a
2: biosimilar
0: so it's like it works very similarly to the other drug but um, it's cheaper and it's cheaper so they're like let's do a non-inferiority study because what's awful is
2: when the biosimilar is better yeah right (laughs) you can't really like comment on that right okay anyway
1: okay so let's start this study uses hazard ratios hazard ratios we okay with hazard ratios Um, I could could use a refresher on hazard ratios. Real quick. Always. Real quick. So hazard ratio, it's the risk of an adverse outcome at any point in a study. And the difference is that this is a sort of an instantaneous risk at one point in time, as opposed to like a relative risk, which is sort of cumulative over the course of a study. Okay. That's it. Yeah. A hazard ratio of one means that both groups, the control and the treatment group, are experiencing equal number of events. Uh, at any point in time so equal number of events would mean the same proportion had copd exacerbations at any in whether you got five or 14 days of steroids at any one point over that six-month follow-up cool got it amazing okay so that is we use hazard ratios you can use other other measures um, that i won't talk about when we think of a trial, or especially when I think of a trial, typically I think of a superiority trial. I'm trying to think that one thing is better, okay? I don't want there to be a chance that the uh, new treatment could have the exact same effect as the old treatment. So that's why I, I don't want my confidence interval to include one, you know, mm-hmm. because then that would mean they could be the exact same.
2: Are the setups different for a superiority versus an inferiority? What do you like, are by you mean setup? Like, I guess... Are you just announcing at the beginning of the trial that this is a superiority versus a non-inferior trial?
0: The setup is essentially the, the, the major difference is that you have a lower bar to clear with a non-inferiority trial.
2: A lower bar to clear. Now, I, I understand superior trial mm-hmm. and I understand non-inferior trial, like the outcomes that you're looking mm-hmm. for. But I don't understand when you set it up like is there if there's not like a difference in p-values or
1: no no what the difference is it, it's like sort of a bird's eye view epi level question mm-hmm. and it's saying what are you trying to prove so it depends yeah, at the beginning. It's, it's how you design it's how you choose to design your study are you trying to prove that this is this uh, that this is not just as good this is not worse or are you trying to prove that this is better because if you prove that it's better, then it should become standard of care. But if you prove that it's not worse, it still might not become standard of care if it's more expensive, has a yeah. lot of side effects. If you say that it's better, it probably should become standard of care. And then you just sort of factor in those other things.
2: Okay. So it's all about how you portray it at the beginning. Bingo. Okay.
1: Yeah. And and what to what Ben was saying is that it is easier to prove non-inferiority. It is harder to prove superiority. Okay. So get ready to have your minds blown because this was a tough concept for me to wrap my mind around. If a study fails to show superiority, this does not mean that the two treatments are actually equal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I I was like, oh, so if it's not superior, then it's equal or non-inferior does not necessitate that as a separate study and not a like logical next step. Okay. So how do we go about doing a non-inferiority trial? So basically, the first step is that you pick a non-inferiority margin. I've also heard this referred to as a delta. I've also heard this referred to as a critical hazard ratio. And what does that mean? So basically, we're trying to pick uh, uh, a a point amongst our axis of hazard ratios or other determinant uh, where you're willing to say uh, how much not worse is okay for me to call this non-inferior. So let's say a hazard ratio, you know, a hazard ratio of um, 1.15 would mean that maybe there's a 15% increase in uh, the event, event, right? Uh, And we're saying, okay, well, our delta is 1.15, so as long as we don't cross that, it's non-inferior. It's inferior if it does, because then there's a possibility that this treatment would cause a 20% increase and that would theoretically be worse, and so we do not want this new treatment because it could be inferior. The difference here is that we're not looking to uh, we're not looking to have a better hazard ratio. We're not looking to have our confidence interval that excludes one. Uh, that's in superiority. We're trying to prove it's better. Okay, yeah. we just want this to not be worse, and to prove that, that means that the upper limit of our confidence interval of whatever metric we pick here, we picked hazard ratio, the upper limit. So the highest possible hazard ratio on this spectrum can't be higher than our Delta slash critical hazard ratio slash non inferiority margin.
2: Okay. So what do they do?
1: Okay. I love that question. The difficult part in this is how do you pick that?
0: How do you pick that number? prior literature and um, your trial expert consensus,
1: yeah, it's like not a mathematically derived elaborate it's pretty it's pretty like stochastic. it's pretty like um, gestalt style based on some literature based on previous studies uh, i'll I'll jump forward a bit and quote what they say here, but when we get to this trial, they say, And I quote, based on the judgment of 11 board-certified pulmonologists, etc. So they basically just asked a bunch of people. Uh, And we'll get to that because I also did that. Um, So how do you pick your non-inferiority margin? Ben just said that. Um, Sometimes you utilize lower bounds of confidence intervals from previous active controls in previous studies that have been done. Uh, And then sort of why do we do non-inferiority trials? Do you guys have any thoughts? We've alluded to a few pertinent reasons why we might do that
0: uh typically if your statistical significance for superiority is challenging if your placebo is unethical um that would those would be two primary reasons yeah that makes perfect sense
1: they're like cheaper they're you know they're sometimes
0: easier to do easier to prove
2: less harmful to the patient
1: yeah Yeah. man. okay um I'm going to quote a Dr. Abareg, who um, uses the Medicine Blog, who I checked out his, uh, whose YouTube video I checked out before this, and was so helpful in sort of understanding non-inferiority trials. Shout out to him. We should tag him in the show notes. He made such a fantastic point, and he phrased it really well. Uh, and he said, as you make a delta, or, or this is a this is not a quote, but he said, as you make the delta further away from one, so that hazard ratio where the active control, the effect of the active control and Uh, Your intervention are are exactly the same. Uh, As you make the delta further away from one, it becomes increasingly likely that you can claim non-inferiority. He says the bigger your delta is, the more real estate for the results that you want. So if you say, oh, well, the study has, you know, we're going to allow a delta of 50%, so a hazard ratio maybe of 1.5, it's more likely that the upper limit of your hazard ratio that you generate in your study is less than that. You know, if you make it 0.17, it's more likely to be less than that. If you make it two, it's more likely to be less than that. The further away you get from one, which is, I don't want to use the word equivalence, but is that the um, uh, placebo and the treatment or or new treatment and old treatment are the same.
2: Yeah, you're just giving yourself more room.
1: You're just giving yourself more real estate. Yeah. I love that. Thank you, Dr. Aberreg. And that's caveat number one. So there may, you know, if you think about it, perhaps there is a research incentive to yeah. falsely elevate.
2: Yeah, the, like why wouldn't you be like, yeah, let's do like, you know, three to negative <laughs> two. <laughs> I
1: don't know how that would work, but, <laughs> but, but I get what you mean. You, you would tend to pick a more liberal number because yeah. there's more likely that your study would be a positive one.
2: Or just a non-inferior one. Right, right.
1: <laughs> uh, And then the second caveat is what intention-to-treat means. Ben is our intention-to-treat master. Ever
0: since... Master of none. I I kind of have a little bit of an understanding of it.
1: And uh, I love the non-inferiority trial because this sort of flips the intention-to-treat analysis on its head. As we know, an intention-to-treat analysis means that after you randomize patients, regardless of crossover, uh, you analyze patients in the group's that they were originally randomized to this prevents non-attrition bias and has the side effect of reducing your effect size and makes it less likely that you're going to have a positive result for superiority trials when you're trying to prove non-inferiority however blunting the treatment effect size may cause you to assume no difference meaning your upper limit will be less Mm -hmm. and therefore you are more likely to
0: incorrectly assume non-inferiority Said a little bit differently from the, uh, by the, um, one of my mentors and journal club expert, Dr. Truong, uh, intended to treat penalizes the sloppy investigator in a superiority trial, but rewards the sloppy investigator in a non-inferiority trial. Right. I like that. And the way that we overcome this or the way that researchers typically
1: overcome this is by analyzing non-inferiority trials as both an intention to treat and a per protocol analysis. That is the more rigorous way to do it um, they also use the sensitivity analysis which i'm not going to go into because oh my gosh we don't have enough time okay i'm going to quote the trial here we're going to go back into the non-inferiority effects of this trial uh, the true proportion of patients under experimental or five days uh, treatment experiencing a copd exacerbation must not exceed 65 which translated to a critical hazard ratio of 1.515 uh, they do this because they say Uh, there's about a 50% risk of the average patient having a a COPD exacerbation after discharge within six months. And then they say there's about a 15% absolute difference in that risk based on these 11 pulmonologists I referenced earlier. That gives you a 65% risk. And then using an exponential proportional hazard survival model, that translates to a hazard ratio of 1.515. That is our non-inferiority margin. That is our Critical hazard ratio, as they call it, slash our delta. The studies that they base that 50% number on uh, is a New England Journal article from 1999, where they compare three different steroid regimens, including one that was multiple weeks long, which is fascinating. And then a Lancet article, which actually uh, a Lancet article in 2004, which is using procalcitonin to risk stratify patients, uh, and in their subset of patients with COPD, at six months, their readmission rates were anywhere between 50 and 70%. I don't know how much experience you guys have but what do you think about a 50 percent risk of readmission at six months
0: seems high and the way i um will justify that is by seeing what i see in our uh, electronic medical record that tells me that somebody is high risk um and they give a little percentage yeah right um and i, I sometimes glance at that and i'm like hmm, that's interesting moving on because uh, <laughs> outpatient's busy yeah i hear that um,
1: I'm going to, so I looked, uh, near and far for a number of different estimates and based on which country or, uh, country you live in and based on what year you're at, based on the severity of the patient, I've seen uh, the, the numbers have ranged anywhere from double. So you're, you know, twice as likely a hazard ratio of two to be readmitted from like 1.2 to 1.3. It varies widely. So I took a very evidence-based approach, uh, a very fact-based difficult-to-dispute approach, and I texted five of our Palm Crit fellows <laughs> that I know really well, and I just asked them all the same question. I said, hey, I have an academic hypothetical question. If a patient gets admitted for a COPD exacerbation, gets treated, and then gets discharged, what's the likelihood that that person gets admitted again in six months for another exacerbation? Not looking for a data-driven answer. Just a guess based on your experience.
2: <laughs> that was it. awesome. Is that I why you that. asked for <laughs> <laughs> his number today? <laughs> that
1: is 100% why I asked for his number today. Uh, I got. I texted five people. Four of them responded to me. (laughs) One of them refused to give me an answer.
2: (laughs) So the three.
1: So I got three out of five. Uh, I I got one person that said 20%. Uh, This was the only person who asked me why I was asking them that. And I (laughs) said, it's for my podcast. Come check it out. Uh, I got one person who said, uh, yeah, the data shows there is a high risk of readmission up to 30%. And I got one person that said, where are you? Where are you? This one was my favorite. He said, uh, depends on a few factors like severity of disease, but over six months is probably close to 15-20% for another exacerbation.
2: So, I don't so know. These are just a bunch of fellows. <laughs> I honestly don't know how I would guess, to be honest, because I feel like, yeah, it would depend on compliant. Like, I don't know. I think there's a lot of factors once they leave the hospital. Yeah. Agreed. And also, like what they came in with like what's their fev1 and yeah i think that would be way too hard for me to guess if
1: i were on the side of defending this paper i would say these are older patients most of them i didn't go into this had gold stage three or four disease yeah, so perhaps the they were more disease. severe
2: maybe smoking right now and they
1: all had a history of smoking and a good portion of them had current smoking yeah. so i don't know 50 percent. i might be willing to give them the benefit of the doubt on
2: yeah I, yeah i, I honestly like if you told me there's a 50 percent chance that that type of patient is going to come back within six months, I would totally believe it.
1: Cool. I just wanted to do my due diligence and we, you got to You got to assess consult the masses. You got to consult the (laughs) masses, meaning just randomly text five palm crit fellows you're friends with. And, you know, just see, do you think this is an appropriate, you know, if they had put something like 2.5, something crazy like that, I think all of our radars would have gone off and we would have said that's, that's, that's falsely high, bro. Okay. Agreed.
2: Okay, so basically the hazard ratio that... If the hazard ratio was above 1.5-ish...
1: Nay, nay. If or the, sorry, lower. If the upper limit of our... So it's our hazard ratio, and then there's this whole confidence interval. Yes. So if the upper limit... limit of the confidence interval. Yeah.
2: But if they went past that...
1: We are we are not non-inferior. We are yes. potentially we worse. claim non-inferiority. You worse. Yes. You
0: well, we cannot claim we, non-inferiority. Yes. It is inconclusive. That hard stop pause period that like we cannot claim you, you cannot claim non inferiority.
2: Yeah. Okay. So 1.5 and some change is about the upper limit of normal. Bingo. that we're about to listen for. Yeah. When, when okay. Tell us.
1: Oh my God. Drum roll. Okay. So they picked to 1.515 as their Delta, their non inferiority margin. We've now beat that to death. Okay. So for our trial at six months, 56 of our 156 patients, in the short course group, or roughly 36% had an exacerbation compared to 57 out of 155 patients in our long course group had an exacerbation, roughly 37%. So 36% for five days of prednisone and 37% for 14 days of prednisone. Big old whopping difference. I know you guys can tell that already. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> this, this translates to the hazard ratios as follows in the intention to treat analysis the hazard ratio is 0.95 with a confidence interval ranging between 0.7 on the lower limit and 1.29 on the upper limit that's a 90% confidence interval and for our per protocol analysis that gives us a hazard ratio of 0.93 with a confidence a 90% confidence interval between 0.68 and 1.26 and of note both of these have upper limits that are below our critical hazard ratio our hazard ratio Our critical hazard ratio of 1.515, the intention to treat had an upper limit of our hazard ratio of 1.29, and the per protocol analysis had an upper limit of 1.26.
2: All right, so 90% confidence interval. That's a little weird.
1: Yeah, the 90% confidence intervals are weird. I'm used to seeing 95% confidence intervals. My assumption, my thinking about it is that based on just some searching and looking at other non-inferiority trials, this is somewhat consensus to do 90% confidence intervals. I think, you know, in my mind, on the one hand, it doesn't capture as much of the data. So there is a risk that you are falsely decreasing your upper limit of normal on that hazard ratio. That gives me a bit of pause. Um, but on the other hand, I don't know that we need as um, as conservative uh, an estimate as the 95 or a 99% confidence interval. And if this is sort of the general consensus amongst non-inferiority or equivalence trials, I guess this is more the norm than I'm just used to seeing, since I'm more familiar with superiority trials.
2: Definitely. All right. Well, cool. Great. So they were the same. Well, yeah. we're non-inferior. They were non-inferior. <laughs> non-inferior.
1: This is the caveat. That is the trap. <laughs> that trap. It's trap. Uh, trap. 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 Okay. So, confidence intervals remained. The upper limit of our confidence intervals remained below our non-inferiority threshold. Let's talk about other outcomes. Median time to exacerbation was 43.5 days in the short course and 29 days in the long course. Uh, both of these had big interquartile ranges, so I don't think it's statistically significantly different, especially since you'd think the long course group would have uh, you know, a longer time theoretically or the exact same time uh, because those you know, risks at six months were the same. So I don't know how to interpret that, but those are the median time to re-exacerbation Uh, there was no difference in overall survival or mechanical ventilation. The short course had a shorter length of stay. So the short course had a length of stay of eight days with an interquartile range between five and 11 compared to the long course, having a median length of stay of nine days with an interquartile range between six and 14. However, this P value was 0.04. They do not comment if they factored in multiplicity. Our friend multiplicity rearing its <laughs> ugly head, so I don't know how much credence to give to that finding.
2: Okay,
1: I think we're going to circle back to that a little later too. Overall, steroid use was, guys, brace yourselves, <laughs> lower in the short group.
2: Nice. Ben stops. No way. <laughs> uh,
1: this uh, was about 200 milligrams, uh, a median dose in the short course group versus 560 milligrams in the long course group. Those are medians because actually, if you look at the means, some some. Uh, Particular practitioners skewed those with some high doses. Um, There was no detectable difference in expiratory volume at any time, and there was the same dyspnea, quality of life, and self-assessed overall performance scores. Now the money. Okay. Adverse effects. This study set some—I didn't focus on this, but they set some really good parameters for— measuring if patients had worsening blood sugar control or worsening blood pressure control. And they included data points such as addition of a new medicine, increasing insulin measures of blood sugar above a certain limit, certain uh, periods of at certain periods of time. Uh, And I was very impressed with these different uh, um, ways that they had of measuring these adverse effects. Uh, They showed that hypertension worsened or developed in 11.6% of patients in the short course group versus 17.8% in the long course group with a P of 0.22. So not a significant difference, at least in these two groups. The same was true of new or worsening hyperglycemia. It happened in 56.9% in the short course group and 57.4% in the long course group. Also not significant. Also real high. More than half of your patients are going to have new or worsening hyperglycemia. But, uh, I think we all sort of expect that. Um, I love um this is a comment that I listened to from one of the authors in an audio interview and he sort of puts these adverse effects in context and I think it speaks exactly to Ben's gut reaction at the beginning of the episode. He said the adverse effects of glucocorticoids are dependent on the cumulative dose throughout the years. So maybe there's no difference in the de- in these adverse effects that we're seeing recorded over 6 months, but if you continue to give patients 2 week courses, over years and years and years, boy, I suspect you'll probably see a difference. Agree. (laughs) Okay. Guys, what do you think?
2: I like it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that this type of study gets at what we're constantly trying to do in the hospital is give patients the least amount of medications that are going to give them the outcome that we want without hurting them. And this was the perfect trial for that. You know, they need steroids or at least that's our current treatment and why give them more when we could give them less i
0: agree i think this is a well-designed non-inferiority trial that um demonstrates um a shorter duration of therapy is just as uh, effective as a longer course of therapy so why do the longer as rachel said uh the editorial that accompanied this article
1: is called uh, is subtitled less is more so i love that you added <laughs> that um okay Uh, I agree. I thought it was a well-designed non-inferiority trial that tested some other interesting outcomes, but I think the real big takeaway is that five days was truly non-inferior without significant or, or, and maybe also noting that there was not really a big difference in side
0: effects now.
1: Okay. Limitations. Anything pop into your guys' head before I run down all the things that I found?
0: Just uh, the problem with blinding that I, I noted that you can't really blind steroids because they have other effects that you're going to measure.
1: Even if you say that you're blinding, yeah. are you really it, blinding? Yeah, it, it,
0: as long as, unless the pro- provider is like dumb. <laughs> I'm just kidding, obviously. <laughs> but like, if they're really not looking out for a, any other steroid effects, like you're going to know. But that's fine. I mean, it doesn't necessarily impact the the trial that much okay especially because they blinded the assessors the outcome assessors i think that's that's a key step yes because the provider might know but the uh, outcome person who's is not watching that blood sugar every day so um yeah yeah okay here are some things that i slash other
1: uh readers have noted so one following patients till six months is helpful but doesn't truly capture all the effects of steroids that you will capture if you follow patients for longer Um, the, some of the other treatments that happened alongside the steroids wasn't as standardized. So all patients all received all of those things that I mentioned, the antibiotics, the teotropium, the LABA, and that was sort of irrespective of like guidelines or individualized care because it was protocolized. So maybe all patients got treated a little more aggressively than they would have been traditionally. Hmm. Um, another caveat is that only current or prior smokers were included in the study. And there's a lot of people who have COPD who actually don't have a smoking history. In uh, that same audio interview I mentioned before um, with Dr. Ruta Schauser, I don't remember if I if I said his name before, but it was with Dr. Ruta Schauser. He mentions that 30% of patients in Switzerland with COPD are never smokers, which is pretty surprising. And I tried to find a comparable number in the US, but I didn't find
2: it. You said 30%?
1: 30% or of not. patients in Switzerland. So applicable to their study, not really generalizable to us, but... There are some patients with COPD who don't have who are not smokers, and so maybe there is a in those patients because it is a non-smoking mediated COPD, there might be a benefit for a longer course of hmm. steroids. And either way, I think the big takeaway is that it just reduces generalizability. Yeah, got it. And most patients were either severe or very severe. I mentioned that I think upwards of eighty percent were either in gold stage three or gold stage four, um, and that sort of reduces our. Um, generalizability for our gold stage one and two. Although, you know, you wouldn't I mean, think of those as the people who would need longer courses. Yeah. yeah.
2: If anything, that was, they picked the right patient population.
1: Okay. Do you guys want to hear my case resolution? Yes, I, I sure do. Okay. Cause this is why I picked this study. So this patient who had completed all their treatment for their active COPD exacerbation or resolving COPD exacerbation, uh, we consult pulmonology, and they recommend treating him with a longer two-week taper of oral prednisone. Uh, on day three of this longer taper, after he's gotten his five days, uh, his dyspnea and wheezing improve, uh, and then we're actually able to discharge him to a facility uh, two days later. And this was so contradict contradictory to what I thought. I thought, you get your five days, and then you're done. There's no improvement. Uh, you shouldn't give people more. But I think it taught me, one, this was a non-inferiority trial. It's non-inferior. It can't tell me if in certain subgroups, one may be better. It just tells me in this group, it was not inferior uh, And two is just that we need to, you know, individualize our
0: care. You don't know that not giving the steroids would not have gotten him out any later. Yeah. Whoa.
2: Yeah. You don't know if that really did anything.
0: <laughs> the, there's this the f- fascinating thing in medicine um, of the idea. Uh, there's a term for this and I don't know what it is the term of like did my treatment actually do anything or did it just get better by itself did it get better by itself and you don't know and you we never know that like um that one treatment unless it's like you know an antibiotic for a bacterial infection that we know we're treating like you there are some things that are treated at the margins and they don't actually make a difference and it's always fascinating to me are we i let's philosophize this for like an hour no, I'm kidding. We don't have about for that. <laughs> but but like it, it does happen. Like yeah. We think we've done something, but yeah. we actually haven't done anything. I want to believe yeah, that. Some,
2: we definitely treat ourselves sometimes.
0: I know. Oh, but, totally. But
1: I, wa- I don't know. I, totally. I don't know if it helped, but I want to believe that it did. But I don't know that it did.
0: Yeah, we don't. We don't know that it did.
1: I just know that in this particular group of patients, it was non-inferior. I don't think it was a Swiss man, though. Or a Swiss woman. It was mostly <laughs> women. <laughs> However, what I do know is that the gold report that came out in 2020, as opposed to the one that I mentioned in 2012, has a new recommendation on systemic corticosteroids uh, that goes as follows. Uh, It says, systemic corticosteroids can improve lung function, oxygenation, and shorten recovery time and hospitalization duration. Uh, Duration of therapy should not be more than five to seven days. Boom. There you go. Wow. Wow
0: coming down from the gold people themselves we, <laughs> gold. it's a gold medal all hail <laughs> that's uh that's the reduced trial nice this is Amazing. why we do that thing that was that was awesome Sean. That was thank great. you thank you thank I, you guys i
2: still want to know how we got to like just prednisone 50 because sometimes <laughs> in the ed at, do, my patients sometimes get like 120 of methyl prednisone. yeah first i see that as well i wonder if that's there has gotta based. be something that was taught Maybe. somewhere along the way yeah it's the hardest part about the journal club is it's not just this article. There's a million. Others. I wish I could yeah. just read
0: this article in isolation and ignore everything. It exactly. <laughs> would exactly. be nice. People practice that way sometimes. <laughs> 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 and we'll leave it at that. All right. Um, thank you so much to uh, the people that help make this podcast possible. Sean, Rachel. Yay. Uh, thank you also to Aaron Miller, who does all of our art uh, and Zeba Hussaini uh, and, as well as Ed Wang, Tudor Stuzoyu, and uh, Justin Robbins.
1: New members of the team.
0: Thank you Yay. for helping the editing process, guys. Seriously. Uh, please uh, rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts, and uh, we look forward to your comments. Uh, we also have an email uh, at um, uh, medlitreview at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, medlitreview. Um, and we look forward to your comments thank you so much thanks guys it's still lit
2: (laughs) it's always
1: lit it's always lit it's lit it's lit
0: guys we're recording I'll read the first part, asterisk, casual and entertaining banter, asterisk, doesn't get more casual and entertaining than that, than reading directly from the page. This is This is what the people want.
2: I can't even find the page. So I'm told... <laughs>